Hello, it is Wednesday, October 28th, and we got great conversations coming for you. Great guests. We got Brian Westbrook, Charles Davis, Kurt Warner. Wow. AJ Hawk. Wow. This all is following up an Aaron Rodgers Tuesday. That was our biggest show yet. We can't thank you enough for being a friend and telling a friend if you enjoy this show. And if you don't enjoy the show, just act like it never happened. Also, tonight, Halloween Havoc on USA Network at 8 p.m. NXT. I will be there. I don't do this often. I mean, this is a must-watch. This is a must-watch. You know, I don't have a clue what's going to happen out there. But I do know that it just came to light that I've been pulling some strings and cooking some things behind the scenes mm-hmm. that potentially took out three out of the four members of Undisputed Era in a beautiful fashion because oh, yeah. I'm a genius in this particular facet of the world. Mm-hmm. Tonight, I guess they say I got to uh, potentially face the music. I don't know. I don't know. Potentially, I got to face the music. Yeah, I doubt it. I ain't scared of a goddamn thing. <laughs> All right, let's get to this show. I think you guys are going to enjoy this one. <laughs> Joining us now is a man who I think would have got involved in that clap if there was uh, any delay or not. I'm not sure if he was able to. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, the number two CBS color commentator in all of the NFL, a man who has had stops at Fox and other places before that. He's a player. He was a legend. And he's the vo- one of the voices of Madden. Ladies and gentlemen, Charles Davis. Yeah! Oh, I saw you. Oh, yeah. Hey, Charles. Charles. Hey. I'm loving the vibe. I'm I'm feeling it. Somewhere the Starland vocal band is ticked <laughs> off right now. They thought that they had the market cornered, and you've opened it up on them because you're bringing this other you're bringing them in, and they thought it was just them for afternoon delight. I'm loving what you just did there. I think it's fantastic. And you know something else I'm mad about though. You're wearing the shirt that I begged for on air on Sunday from yeah. Coach Cower. Yeah. And you already have it. And yeah. Your brother can't get a shirt. Well, I want to let you know, maybe maybe the checkdown's racist, by the way. Maybe <laughs> no? maybe it's because I'm white, Charles. The, uh, I, by the way, I kind of want to say, uh, they want to, They meant to send this to me last week so I could market it on the show or whatever. Our yeah. FedEx driver, for whatever reason, whenever it showed up, knock, knock, knock. We weren't there. Note, note. I didn't get it until yesterday, and I listened to the Steelers-Titans game call, and I heard you not be thrilled about it. For it. So my immediate thought was, this is us. I have to wear it for Charles <laughs> Davis. So this is a little bit of me kind of – that is – it's the check down, though. you got to go at the check down. Hey, let them know. They're a great they, – they're a great Twitter. You know team. what they say to that, Pat? Mm. Well played, sir. Thank you. Well played. I appreciate that. You too, by the way, with everything well you do. Hey, hello, guys. Let me get a big hello. In t- How you doing? Yeah. How are you doing? Everybody's doing great. Yeah. I'm loving it, and it's good to see you. And I loved you getting your hacks up there, man. Like hey. They're playing some ball, uh, hard ball. For those- Remember Dick Tomey? Remember what? Dick Tomey, the coach at Arizona yeah. and Hawaii? He just passed away about a year ago. Rest in peace. He played hard ball all the way into his 50s. Really? Man loved it. Oh really? yeah, big time. So you know this football baseball thing it keeps going. Garth Brooks got an at bat with a big Doug league Flutie. squad. Billy Crystal, 
I'm thinking Deion Sanders, mm-hmm. Will Ferrell, Bo Jackson, Bo Jackson, Chris Gaines also did that whole thing. But the thing about it, for those that are listening on Sirius that don't know what Charles Davis is referring to, I never played baseball growing up. Never. Not a one time. My dad hated the sport, wouldn't let me play it. Our town, big baseball town, though, like a lot of people played baseball. So I'd been at the fields. It was like a place where everybody hangs out. I just never played. I always played other sports. Never even took a, a batting practice or anything like that. The first time I did it, was live in that game that we recorded and really? made. Yeah, 90 mile an hour fastball out of the guy. What was mm-hmm. his name? Reynaldo Lopez or yeah, something, yeah, like, something that. like that. He was drafted by the Brewers. He was in the Frontier League or, or what team was he drafted by? I forget. Yeah, what. Brewers. The Brewers. 91 mile an hour fastball, this guy. <laughs> I, and I'm standing in there. My first ever pitch that I ever uh, took. I swung at it, by the way. Made contact. Didn't get the hips through, though, so it was a little dribbler. They threw me out at first. But it was an awesome experience. I wish I would have played baseball as a kid, to be honest. But you got you got wood on a ball at 91 miles an hour your first time. That's I mean, that's big time. Look. Thank you. <laughs> I think about hanging out at the baseball fields. Thank you. I think of Kelly Leak in, in the original Bad News Bear. Mm-hmm. You know, oh. had, had his motorcycle, was just hanging out. The guy confronted him. This is for ball players. You're going to be a ball player? And then he came out and goes yard on his team. I mean, that's you, right? You didn't play, but as soon as you go out there, you flash some skills. 91 miles an hour doesn't phase you. Oh, it did. Because I always think about Ron Luciano, who was a great umpire, and he passed away a bunch of years ago. And he said the first time he called Nolan Ryan pitching, he didn't he didn't see the pitch because his eyes popped. It was going so fast. Oh, he no. said he called Nolan Ryan's pitches on sound. Sounded high, ball two. <laughs> Sounded good, right down the middle, strike two. He said he never saw it because he was throwing such gas up there. So for you at 91, again, another tip of the cap, sir. Charles, you know what it was? I was a holder, you know? So for a holder, and I. for a holder, I got to see the laces and everything. So it's see like, it. I think like for eight years being a holder there, I think that legitimately helped me in the batter's box because I could see the ball. Like they threw me a curveball at my second at bat. Okay, like. See it? Uh, I knew the ball was spinning differently, but I'll tell you what, I was nowhere near making contact on that thing. I yelled at the ump. I yelled at the catcher. I yelled at the pitcher. The whole documentary is available at youtube.com forward slash the Pat McAfee show. It is. It's a good time. And I pre- appreciate you enjoying that. Yeah. Charles. The cur- the curveball, and we'll get to the good stuff here, and I'll finish here. No, I want to talk about how you got into football. The, cur- the curveball is what makes a lot of us football players. <laughs> All right? I remember reading, you remember Jim Bouton's book, Ball Four? All right, that was a sensation when it came out at the time. You're too young for it. Yeah, but yeah. anyway, yeah, yeah. Ball Four was a big deal. Now, Joe Morgan, the Hall of Famer who just passed this past, like, what, a week ago, two weeks ago? He was playing for the Astros, and he was talking about playing against a pitcher who had an incredible curveball. And he came back to the dugout after striking out, and one of the guys said, Joe, Joe, what what happened on that one? He goes, man, he threw me he threw me the bleeping bleeping curveball. He goes, well, can you tell me just between the regular curve and the bleeping bleeping curveball? He said, well, the regular curve, you see the spin and you kind of pick it up, but on the bleeping bleeping curveball, all of a sudden it looks like a fastball, then it drops off the table and it's bleeping bleeping strike three. <laughs> Charles, I know you're a gentleman, but man, if you would have said that the way it was, the world would have exploded. How did you get into football? I was seeing some, I saw some old photos of you with like Gruden or something, or like you've been in the game a long, long time at this point. How did you get into football? Were you a coach? I forget the exact startup for you. Yeah, for me, my dad was a high school football, basketball coach, the whole deal. 
So, of course, I grew up a jock. He was a college football player at Bluefield State in West Virginia. So, and played baseball as well. He was a catcher in baseball. So, I grew up a jock that way, played football. I'm wearing this hat here, this NP hat. That's my hometown, New Paltz, New York, where I played high school football for a man by the name of John Ford. And Coach Ford's struggling a little bit right now, and I owe him a ton. Um, he's a big reason why I'm sitting here where I am now, obviously in addition to my father. But I love that man, and I want him to, to feel a whole lot better really soon. So this is in honor of Coach Ford. But he took me as a sophomore quarterback in high school, kicker, punter, played defensive back, went to Tennessee and played. And then I coached with John Gruden at the University of the Pacific for a man by the name of Wal Harris, who you might oh, remember him. Oh, yeah. At Pitt, went to the Fiesta Bowl, Stanford as a head coach, successful in the NFL as an offensive coordinator. Uh, he's my coordinator at Tennessee. So that's where the pictures of me and Gruden came in. And that was the University of Pacific staff, 1989 season. Hugh Jackson was the running backs coach. John was the tight ends coach. I coached defensive backs. I was 24 years old. I loved Hugh Jackson getting a chance to meet him. On Hard Knocks, he didn't look great. Obviously, the teams didn't do fantastic whenever he was out there. But getting a chance to meet him and talk to him, that's a legendary dude. Yeah, he is. Man, and he's been in football forever. And look, sometimes you get into some bad spots. Things don't go so well. And people look at you in a certain way. But that's a football coach through and through, a football man through and through. And to think that I was on a staff with him, Coach Harris, John Gruden, and then there was me. And, you know, it's kind of like they went on and did their life's work, and I came on and did something else, and it's pretty cool. How'd you end up transitioning into television? Because you are great at it. I mean, I would assume I would assume, I would assume, that they said the same thing to you, though, whenever you were coaching with them. They're like, uh, you would be great for TV. I assume a lot of people said that to you? No, I really didn't get that. And as it turned out, and I will very much so nutshell this story, I was working at Disney, Disney's Wide World of Sports for Reggie Williams, the former great linebacker with the Cincinnati Bengals, and got a phone call, and a guy asked me to do a couple of football games as a color analyst. And he had gotten my name from someone I, went, I was in, at Tennessee with, and later he was the associate commissioner of the SEC, a man by the name of Mark Whitworth. And Mark had given him my name and said, look, he's never done TV, but I think he might be okay. You ought to give him a try. He had my card for two, two years, a man by the name of uh, Steve Craddock, who's still with Fox Sports. And he got into a major jam, had no one to do two good ball games, and the first game was eight days away. And he called me out of desperation, and that's where it started. And you guys are, are full, you know, like full culture, full world guys. How about this? My first game was August 31, 1997. Memphis State and Mississippi State. Mississippi State wins on a field goal very late in the ball game. I can't fly out. I'm in Starkville, Mississippi. And that was the night Princess Di had her car crash. Wow. And I'm up all night on the coverage because you guys might remember. Oh, yeah. When it was first announced, it wasn't serious. This is almost like a fender bender. And she's okay and this. And then as the night went on, it got worse and worse. I stayed up all night with the coverage. And that's how I remember the date so well because that was the night Princess Di had her crash and we lost her. But that was the day of my first game ever. But it's only out of a fluke because of a man named Mark Whitworth, who I write a note to every summer and thank him for having confidence in me I didn't know I had. And Steve Craddock gave me my first opportunity, and away we went. Man, you're awesome on TV, though. You add an excitement to the game that is just beautiful, and obviously your knowledge is deep with the game, so that insightful stuff also helps. Uh, I don't want to go off in too deep of a wormhole here, though. Uh, uh, that driver killed die on purpose, huh? <laughs> that I mean, well, when you go to the bar and you're hammered, yeah. 
feels like it so- doesn't really go well with the old don't drink and drive ads yeah. that are out there everywhere. Yeah, especially when you got the, the princess in your car. Yeah. I mean, it's just a very. But, but have, have you noticed how many times alcohol has affected us in history? And well, we know that. And, and look, right. I'm Family. not trying to be flipping here, right? We know why Mothers Against Drunk Driving exists, right? We understand the tragedies are out there. If you ever have kids or you were a kid, we all get the lectures and we all given the lectures about the perils of it all. Think about when President Lincoln was shot and killed. The guy that was assigned to him, where was he? In the bar. I did not know that. I did not know that he was supposed to be guarding a door up there when old uh, Lee. He, he was across John the street. John Wilkes Booth. Yeah, Booth that allowed John Wilkes Booth easy access into the into the area. He just walked right in because no one was stationed outside of it. Wow. I mean, this is a sports show, but did you ever have you ever gone to uh, D.C. across from a yeah, theater? There's theater. There's like that hospital that or bed. The bed was like four it's, feet tall. Sports Sports Theater, and then right across the street where they took President Lincoln, that bed. I'll put it to you this way: Who's the shortest guy in the NFL? You uh, couldn't get in that bed. Darren Sproles. Sproles, right? Still Darren, in? Spro- Darren Sproles would be like, "You guys are serious? I'm gonna get in this thing." It was tiny. That thing is tiny. I was in sixth and when, grade. And they folded. They folded the president into that somehow. And you know, you see the the, the stains are still there on the on the on the pillow or where he's been shot. But the guy that was kind of assigned to him, because I don't think we had Secret Service at that time. It's kind of like Pinkerton. He was over at the bar. He was hanging out. So once again, alcohol having its hand in history, but not in a positive way. I'm thinking about him just sitting there. You know, with another, is it play almost done? Uh, sir, you're needed. No, you're needed. Hey, he's probably over there like, I saw this last week. I know how I'm <laughs> over here, Mr. President. Don't worry about it. I was and in. Then I was in, booth, and then he jumped on the stage, broke his leg, and made his getaway. I was in sixth grade whenever we went and visited all that. And my first takeaway was, wasn't Lincoln a tall something? Oh, that was a tiny <laughs> right? little bed. It was tiny. We were right? like feet away from it. It was a tiny little bed. And I immediately, being a little, you know, I'm, I'm not like the most easy kid to get along with. I was like, yeah, this is fake. This is not where. How can you tell <laughs> you me that Lincoln's thing. the tallest president of all time? And now you're telling me that he was in this bed. Somebody's lying. You guys. Are, and then yeah. for the rest of the trip, it was like me being a terrible kid. Like, yeah, this is all bullshit. No. What else is a lie? That's uh, it's all. Yeah. Pat, I was an adult, and I immediately questioned the person. Like, there is no chance, uh, no shot. You guys staged this one. You could have got a bigger bed, don't you? <laughs> like, like they were ready to throw me out. The same thing happened in a sense. My Liberty Bowl, we played in Memphis, and they took us to Graceland, uh, and they had live tour guides back in 1986. And me and one of my teammates, Tim Hendricks. We're going through there, and the guide tells us, I don't know if you've been to Graceland, guys, but they had this one room where they had three TVs right in a row, and they told us that Elvis loved football, and he would watch three games at the same time. Now, you have to remember, back in that time frame, there weren't three games on at the same time. (laughs) And so I started questioning her, and by the end of the tour – if she could have gotten John Wilkes Booth to come back and be <laughs> she would have she would have shot me and my teammate cheerfully and doing something to mercy of the court because she was talking about Elvis loved you know Elvis you know Elvis he liked his his, his soft drinks and this and that and we're like what and, and then you know they talked about he played two hours of racquetball the night he dies well no wonder <laughs> see Elvis on the way out two hours of racquetball finished him off. <laughs> 
How come that's never talked about, by the way? It's always the peanut butter banana sandwiches or whatever. It's never talked about two hours of racquetball at 350 pounds. I mean, they said he played two hours of racquetball, sat down and played a couple songs, went upstairs, and of course it all happened. But when you throw in the peanut butter banana sandwiches that were fried in butter... That's a bad formula. That's all I'm saying. He was, uh, there, who was the president at the time? Nixon? Reagan? Who was it? Nixon? Listen, the all-time greatest picture ever. I'm just telling you. If you guys have not been to Graceland, if you get a chance to go, you got to call me after you come back. Because there's a picture in Graceland of Elvis Presley in full. This was when he had the cape thing going and all that. And he does not look good in this picture. Standing next to President Richard Nixon yes. in the Oval Office. And President Richard Nixon made him an honorary member of the DEA. He was a federal agent. Yeah, there's an entire yeah. movie about this that I did not know about. And, and, what's, and what's even better, Pat, you ready for the finish? If you go back and read a couple of the books that his guys put out, remember the Memphis Mafia where his guys are protecting Red and Sonny West and that crew? They swear that when they went into there, one, Elvis was high, and two, he was packing. Ooh. And he never got frisked. Never got searched. He's standing next to the President of the United States taking that picture, holding. Well, the thing about it, if you watch the movie, I think my favorite, I forget Full what. Office. Yeah, I, yeah it's, it's wild. See, wait until you hear what I say here. If you watch the movie and it's accurate, I guess um, Nixon's kids were fans of Elvis. And yeah. Elvis knew that he wanted to be an undercover agent to stop drug use amongst the teens yeah. and his fans and everything. Like, he wanted to be an agent for this whole thing. He was obviously tripping. There's a lot of times where those three TVs you're talking about, he emptied a gun in them and everything. Yeah, he'd shoot them and everything like that. But the before meeting with Nixon, which Nixon, I guess, was a no-nonsense guy. So, like, the right. thought of this even happening, a lot of people had to tell him, like, you should do this. This is good for you or whatever. It's <laughs> in the Oval Office? <laughs> yes, Elvis made, allegedly, I don't know if this is true, Elvis allegedly made Nixon sit down with his team to go over rules for when talking to Elvis, just like Elvis had to sit down and go over rules to talk to Nixon. So, like, every rule that, they told him, like, hey, the peanut M&Ms or whatever that are on the counter, those are uh, Nixon's, like, do not touch those. And then he's like, all right, I want my people to talk to Nixon, too. So they have a full conversation. He sits down, I guess he goes right to the table, boots right on the thing, <laughs> grabs the entire thing. I guess it is just, like, an entire mockery of everything that is Nixon and everything that he exists, all because Elvis Presley utilized his kids' fans, fanhood, to become a registered federal agent, which is what he wanted at the end of the year. Pat, there's a ba the badge is there. Oh my god, it's awesome. And we <laughs> should not be talking about this, Charles. Hold on. Charles, let's move on. Let's talk football here. You it, got... It, it, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Nixon was not happy, I guess, for that entire thing. The movie, I don't know what it's called. I ran into it one morning on like a Saturday. And I started to think to myself, like, eh. Is Elvis the most gangster human of all time? Like, I think he is. I think he is but... oh, oh, Mr. President, you have rules? Hold up a second. I got a few rules. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. This is how it's going to go down in your place. You're going to call me the king whenever you talk to me. I am the king. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Charles, let's talk football, shall we? You know a lot about it. I know a lot about it. You called the Steelers-Titans game this yeah. past weekend. Two undefeated teams. Everybody thought that the Steelers hadn't played anybody going into that. They didn't really know what to expect. That uh, first half, it was most dominant. Obviously, Derrick Henry comes back in the second half. But that Steelers defense, I think when this season is done, no matter what they do, is going to be talked about as a historic defense. Do you get that same feeling as well? They are ball hawking and a destructive bunch over there. And you know, you as you know, Pat, you construct your teams to win your division first, right? Who is the dominant team in your division that you're chasing, you're trying to beat, et cetera, et cetera? 
Well, for them, it's Baltimore right now, so you have to be aware of what Lamar Jackson can do. Well, as fast as they are on defense and, and as dominant as they can be up front, that helps you, right? Because you're trying to shut down Lamar Jackson in that running game of Baltimore. But then you got to think, what's the next big picture? What's well, Kansas City, obviously. What's been the best success against Kansas City thus far? Making sure that you can rush your front and drop everyone else from Mahomes and take away some passing lane. Well, that front can rush, but you have to remember with Pittsburgh, it's not just the interior three. Do you bring Dupree off the edge? Do you bring Watt off the edge? Occasionally you bring both. That's why I think that they can provide some problems for Kansas City down the road. The second half of that game, a lot of people want to say Pittsburgh fell asleep. Let's not sleep on Tennessee. That's a good football team. Okay, So if anyone thinks that, oh, well, Pittsburgh fell asleep and they made it a game, Tennessee forced it into being a game by taking the ball away from Big Ben and then being able to stay with Derrick Henry running it enough to provide some big plays for A.J. Brown out wide. So I like Pittsburgh a lot. I think they and Tampa Bay's defenses remind me of each other with speed and aggressiveness. Okay, and that's good news for Tampa, by the way, because on offense they're starting to really figure it out. And I think what Todd Bowles and that defense did against Aaron a couple weeks ago was a story in of itself, obviously, that led to a lot of speculation about Aaron potentially mm-hmm. being dead, and he's not. This weekend you have the Patriots-Bills game. This morning it is Gilly Lock, Stephon Gilmore, Defense Player of the Year. His house is now up for sale. Offers are only being accepted until an hour after the trade deadline ends on Tuesday. Are the Patriots in a situation at 2-4 and four at this this point where they're thinking about maybe rebuilding and moving forward what do you think this move indicates and is this real or is this all fluff at this moment oh it's real i think it's real because of this reason two and four as you said potentially two and five i don't think it's a total rebuild in new england because bill belichick 68 years old he's not wanting to strip it all the way bare mm. but he does know that he needs to get younger he does know that he needs draft choices There aren't a ton of guys that you can acquire that type of bounty with. Gilmore would be one of them. And it's not like New England hasn't been part of the trade package over the years anyway. They traded away Richard Seymour when they were contenders, right? They traded away Jamie Collins when they were contenders. He cut Randy Moss when they were contenders. So it's not like he hasn't done this before, but I don't think it's going to be a fire sale. And the other thing is they don't have a ton of guys that are going to bring back much for them anyway. I mean, even if you trade Julian Edelman, what do you get back for Julian Edelman at this stage? That's why, that's why I think that Gilmore brings them the most value, and that's why I think this is real. Char- uh, Carlos Dunlap on the move this morning. Everson Griffin on the move yesterday. Two rather large name all-pro guys on the move. Do you think Stephon Gilmore gets done before the trade deadline, or do you think it's not going to happen, Charles Davis? No, it wouldn't surprise me at all that it gets done, but for him, contender. See, Everson Griffin got traded to Detroit, and he had to look at himself and go, okay, that's okay. But- oh! <laughs> wow! <laughs> oh, <no>. yeah. <laughs> but for Carlos Dunlap, you talk about failing up. You complain, you want to get traded, you put your house on the market, you're, you're angry, and you end up in Seattle. It's a good play. I mean, it's a good seriously? Play. It's a good play. That's a heck of a deal, right? You're like, what? I'm going where? Cool. Bye. Deuces. <laughs> so it worked out really well for him. For Everson Griffin, that's a tough one because ah. Dallas is actually still in the race. Detroit will know in the point. next two or three weeks. 
It has to happen now. They've got to hit the gas. They're three and three, which I don't know many of us knew they were three and three. But they are. They're three and three. They've got to hit the gas and go. It's, it's that simple. And we'll find out if this works for them or not. Uh, going into this weekend's game, Bills, Patriots, you're calling. Uh, are the Bills a team or what? What is it? They looked unbelievable early. Josh Allen, MVP. Yeah. By the way, he's quietly over 2,000 yards mm-hmm. passing or something Ooh. like that. He's at one of the top five uh, passing yards. Qu- 300. Yeah. So, he, I mean, they were hot. Then they stumble a little bit. What are you expecting out of this game? You think Patriots steal one here against the Buffalo Bills, or is it finally time for the Buffalo Bills to be like, this is our division finally? It's as, it's as simple as this, Pat. In the offseason, when you ask the people in Buffalo, okay, is this your division? We're 0-6 against New England guys with this regime, GM, head coach. Until we beat them, let's not even talk about it. This is their opportunity to make that stand and do it. Like Pat Riley always talked about, the last words he exchanged with his father at his wedding – his father said, Pat, at some point in your life, you're going to have to set your feet and make a stand. Never forget that. This is the time that Buffalo has to set their feet and make that stand with New England. Hey, to be the man, you got to beat, the, beat man. the man. Hey, Ric Flair. Ric Flair is a noble poet who said that, and that's a real. Luger, walk that eye. <laughs> and you come and see the man. Oh, you're the best, Charles. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the you'll be your boy. Yeah. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, hey, shout out to Coach Ford for us, too, by the way, if you get a chance to chat for him. I will pass that on. Thank you guys very much. Always great to chat with you. All the best to everyone there. Thanks for having me on. And I I love the fact that you were playing that baseball, man, and got that hack in right away. That is so cool. Hey, first pitch, you know, first pitch. They said that'll be the best pitch you see all night will be that first pitch because they're just going to try to Go ahead and launch. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, Charles Davis. Thank you, buddy. Also joining us for this incredible Hour 3 conversation is a man who is a Hall of Famer. Okay? What? Super Bowl champ. Okay. Super Bowl MVP. Hmm. Two-time NFL MVP. Okay. Four-time Pro Bowler. Two-time All-Pro. Walter Payton Man of the Year. Wow. Has about 700 NFL records currently. And he talks about the football in a beautiful fashion for NFL Network. Ladies and gentlemen, Kurt Warner. How are you, sir? What's going on, guys? How we doing? I want to let you know that I've added a massive piece of your life advice to my life. I uh, talked to you last time, and you were in incredible shape, and you talked about how you play pickup basketball still, and you're still going for you're going at people's throats in pickup basketball whenever you're playing. <laughs> you're going for it. And I said, oh, Kurt, how do I do it? Because last fall, I gained 35, 40 pounds, got real fat, and I Ooh. said, I like to eat, you know, and you said, no, I do an hour of cardio every day because I also like to eat. I want to let you know I don't do an hour, but I do at least 30 minutes every day so that I can continue to eat. I want to thank you for being my fitness coach, basically. You got it, man. That's what it's all about. It's the only reason I work out is so I can eat whatever I want to eat. Somebody told me last week, just eat clean and you don't have to do all that. And I'm like, you lost me at eat clean. Yeah. Forget that, man. Yeah. I want to eat good. So the workouts will stay uh, a part of the regimen just so I can eat what I want. Well, you you motivate me every single day. Whenever I stare down a pizza that looks delicious, I go, uh well, I'm going to go hit the Stairmaster real quick for about 30 mm-hmm. minutes, and then I'm going to eat the hell out of that pizza. <laughs> and then it's it's kind of worked out, by the way. I think I've only gained like seven pounds or whatever. I feel go. pretty good. We're at a different rate. I'll get up to you an hour. You look good. I mean, you're like you. a champion of the world right now, too, aren't you? Thank, so, I mean, thank you. You look good, man. You look good. My guy, Kurt, I appreciate that. Let's talk about some other people that look good at this exact moment. Uh, AFC, everybody thinks it's probably a three-headed race at this point. you got the Chiefs, the Steelers, and the Ravens, but the Titans could come in there and get there. The NFC 
in particular, the NFC West at this exact moment, who knows who's going to come out of there? There's a chance, I guess, I think I heard a commentator say that all four teams get out of there. Whenever you look at that NFC West, what do you see from that division? And why is it just so, and is it going to be like, is it going to be able to maintain this for the next couple of years? You think great quarterbacks playing very good football right now. Well, great quarterbacks, and we've got young quarterbacks. And you guys know that's what the league is all about, is about that position. Got to have that position. And, you know, when I look around, you know, the NFC West, I mean, all of those guys. I mean, Russell Wilson, what did he say last week? He wants to play till he's 45. So that's that's like another decade plus that he wants to play. And, and he's the oldest one of, of that bunch. So I do think that this division will be strong for a long time. Uh, I think there's a lot of young talent, good young talent in that division um you know and i'm with you i I don't know who's going to come out of that division seattle has been the best team but i also think they have the biggest liability in that defense that they have um the cardinals they got a dynamic quarterback they got a dynamic playmaker on the outside their defense is really what's held this together and been most consistent i watched the rams play on monday night and they're balanced across the board but i know everybody talks about aaron donald but i love their defense their defense flies around a lot of young guys. You don't know a lot of the names outside of Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald, but uh, their defense is really good, and they've got balance and playmakers on offense. Uh, the 49ers, they got to get healthy, and then we can really see what they are. But uh, they're starting to play better football as well. So if they get healthy, um, you know, I think they're going to have a chance as well. I just don't know if they're going to be as dynamic as they were last year. So that's the reason they're sitting at the bottom right now. But uh, I think anybody in that division can beat anybody on any given Sunday. So it'll be fun to watch how it plays out. Kurt, is there a reason you think we see so many young quarterbacks playing at such a high level? Like, can you point to coaches in the league now? Maybe they're coaches in college schemes. They grow up doing these seven-on-seven camps from age three years and up. Like, what is it? It seems like there's so many young guys that are very talented. They're doing well right right off the bat. Well, AJ, I think the biggest thing – uh, is that these guys are just so physically talented, you know, because you say play at a high level. And, and, you know, I look at the game a little bit differently than I think a lot of people do on the outside when they look at stats and they look at the wow plays. I look at how you play the position, meaning look at the concept of a play. Did you read the right thing? Did you get the ball to the right guy at the right time? And all of those things. And the amazing thing is there's not that many young quarterbacks that are doing the things I'm talking about. So the exciting thing is that these guys are having such success and they haven't even learned how to play the position yet. And it's because their athleticism is so much greater than, uh, than my era, than the last era. And so they get away with a lot more uh, than anybody that played the game like I did could get away with. And so you're seeing them have success, make big plays, find ways to win, and they're still growing in the game. And so The big caveat here is if they continue to play that way their whole career, they'll be good. I don't know if they will be great. Which of these guys can take their game to the next level, meaning give me all the athleticism, but more importantly, play the game the way it's supposed to be played, in structure, on time. And that's why we've seen Patrick Mahomes, and he's really blown up, is that he's got all the special, but he's really, really good on time and in the structure of what they're trying to do offensively. And that's what's taken him to the next level. Now we just have to wait and see if or when these other young guys can take that step. Because if they do, I mean, let's just say we have five or six of those guys that take that step. Man, it is going to be fun to watch our league 
uh, for the next decade plus, if we can get six or seven of those guys with that extreme athletic ability to learn to play the position and compete on a yearly basis, man, that is going to be so much fun. Yeah, that's great for the league. And I think the league sees all these young guys dominating. They're like, thank God, okay, Tom Brady's on his way out. Here we go. We're in a good spot. We're in good hands. And to your point about Patrick Mahomes, he said on The Shop, which is LeBron James' show there, that it wasn't until halfway through last season that he started understanding what the defense was doing or whatever. And he, had, at that point, had already won an MVP. They were already going on an entire run, which inevitably ended with them winning a Super Bowl. That type of thing, whenever you hear that, you're like, oh, my God, this dude is just having a good time with it now they have all those weapons and i know you were a part of the greatest show on turf obviously but that offense adding Le'Veon bell clyde edwards alaire travis kelsey mccole hardman uh tyree kill obviously sammy watkins and there was another guy this past weekend i forget his name there was another one just popped out of pringle. there's a pringle yeah pringle at a game mm-hmm. there's just they have a a an overdose of talent almost at this point over there if you're that quarterback how now, I'm not saying how do you keep everybody happy, but at that moment, because we talked to Aaron yesterday, and we talked about the star player, about feeding them early so they feel like they're a part of the game or whatever, you know, and Aaron said, hey, you never really look at it that way. Normally, those big-name wide receivers, they get open more, they have a bigger catch radius, so it's not like you're just feeding them. There's a reason you're feeding them, because there's a reason they're a big-name wide receiver, because they get open all the time. It feels like on any given play, they have enough players where five people are potentially open, and if you're Patrick Mahomes, that just has to feel damn good, but also, from a personal standpoint, I assume there's some conversations happening about, hey, I know Tyreek's open, I am as well. Do you think that'll ever happen, or is it just, hey, let's just win games? Well, I think the bottom line is once you earn the respect as a quarterback, in other words, when guys around you, those playmakers, start to realize, man, he's just doing the right thing with the football. And, you know, yes, I want the football every time, or yes, I was open, but I can't argue with the success that he's having or the guy that he's throwing to. And so that's where it starts. A lot of times young guys come in and they haven't earned that yet. So that guy starts chirping in their ear and that guy that's, you know, been an all pro or going to be a Hall of Famer. And you kind of go like, oh, gosh, I I guess I need to get him the football. Once you earn that level of respect, you can pretty much go to those guys and say, hey, I'm going to do what the defense dictates me to do. And you can see the kind of success that we're having with this. Everybody's getting their touches. Um, You know, when I was on the greatest show on turf, the the greatest thing was that, you know, one week it would be Isaac getting 10 catches. Then the next week it would be Tory, And then Marshall would have 150 yards receiving one game. And so everybody understood they were going to get their opportunity. It just might not come each and every week. And, you know, I look at, uh, you know, I look at the Chiefs and how they're built. And, you know, the greatest thing is that they've got such tremendous speed. And that, to me, is, you know, the biggest difference maker in our game is because, those second-level throws become way more open than they do for other teams that don't have that speed. When you're afraid of Tyreek Hill, your safeties play five yards deeper. You know, you see him running down at you, you are bailing out of there, and they get so many big plays, chunk throws for a guy like Travis Kelsey. You know, he's got to love that because it's like, man, here I am. I get to work this whole 20 yards and under area of the field every single week. They use their backs the same way. So – it is a multitude of riches for that team, um, but shoot, they may need it. Uh, looking where the Bucks are going, they've got they got some talent of their own. That uh, you know, at this point in time, you kind of look at it and go, "Man, it may be a showdown between Brady and Mahomes again 
and all those tremendous weapons offensively for both teams. That was a plus 2,300 bet at FanDuel that both Connor and I placed right before the season, Tampa, Kansas. And we like it. Antonio Brown's coming in. Le'Veon Bell is coming in. And it's good. Just gotta, hey, let's go keep walking down. That Kansas City Chiefs defense, they're like top 20 right now. Or not top 20. They're they're holding people under 20 points. They're like a top five defense right now, which everybody's not talking about. Tampa's defense, also very, very good. I mean, those two teams seem to be rising, but there's obviously going to be problems throughout that. What do you got, AJ? Oh, I was I was curious to, to ask Kurt if he ever played with any receivers that were like real divas that, yeah. that you had mm-hmm. to manage their personality, and also how detrimental can that be to a team if your star receiver is one of those selfish guys? Yeah, you know, I mean, I was fortunate that I played with a lot of great ones. I, you know, mentioned a couple of them. Uh, you know, Larry Fitzgerald, uh, Anquan Bolden, two guys that I also believe are, are Hall of Fame guys, and never had one of those guys that was a diva, you know, one of those guys that you felt like, um, you know, you had to make them happy or you weren't going to get the best out of them or they weren't going to be good in the locker room. I was very fortunate to be around a lot of guys. And, you know, and I was fortunate around to be around some coaches, too, that understood the talent level. And, you know, their job more than mine is to keep those guys open, to design plays, to create opportunities to get to ball, the ball to those guys and so, you know, when I was with all those great players, my coaches did a great job of, you know, dealing things up for each guy. And so everybody had great years. Everybody got touches when they were in the red zone. And I think that becomes the key part of it. So, and I, AJ, I can't really, you know, speak to that because most of my superstars that I played with were very, very unselfish. Um, as much as they wanted the ball and everybody has an ego, we understand that. They were able to check that at the door as long as we were having success and moving in the right direction. And uh, so I was fortunate from that standpoint. I think to be a professional athlete, you have to have some sort of ego, right? Because you're going to battle through something. I think that's just kind of common. But the people who can buy into the team concept ultimately are the ones who normally you see the whole team win, right? And uh, there's always those negative stories about, oh, this person was like this. There's, I, From my experience, there's a lot more positive, like you just mentioned, as opposed to negative ones. But the negative ones get blown out of proportion for whatever reason. Let's talk about what's happening in Tampa. We talked to him and alluded about it a little bit. AJ just asked a question there about a, a little bit of a, maybe a prima donna or a diva at wide receiver. I'm not saying Antonio Brown is either of those things, but it has not ended up well in a lot of his stops. In Pittsburgh, it wasn't great. In Oakland, it wasn't great. Then he gets to New England. Seems to have a great 13 days there with Tom, but something he did before he got to New England inevitably leads him out of there. And that court case is still pending. If he did something wrong, we hope justice is served to the max degree. If not, we hope we move forward with this with Antonio Brown. Tom Brady was asked just like an hour ago, about you know uh, his him befriending and being an advocate for Antonio Brown when Tom is known for being like this incredible human or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Why has he done it? And he led off on this entire soliloquy, two-minute answer about how whenever he was a young guy, there was a lot of veterans that took care of him and kind of tried to show him not only football-wise, but off-the-field-wise. He talked about Willie McGinnis. He talked Teddy Bruschi. He talked about Drew Bledsoe. He named a bunch of those people. And he was like, now that I'm been around the NFL longer than almost anybody at this point. I feel like it is my duty to kind of be a good leader, a good older vet. And then he alluded to the fact that not everybody has grown up with the same things that I have. So I have, I've, I've learned to understand that. And he's just trying to be a good mentor or veteran. For you, who was somebody who was older, maybe for the Rams, that you were able to lean on and learn from because you just got done bagging groceries like a week before you signed there? But yeah, but you also got to remember, Pat, I was 28 years old at the time. <laughs> I was one of the old guys. I was older than most of the people in my locker room. Um, you know, so 
you know, from that standpoint, I would just say Trent Green was probably the guy that I leaned on, you know, as strange as that might sound, because ultimately, you know, it was his position that I ended up, you know, taking when he suffered that injury. Um, but you know, he was nothing but class, you know, helping me kind of leading the way. And, and, you know, a big part of that was how you handle the role when you're not the starter, because ultimately that would become a huge part of my story um, is that I would find myself, you know, going from starter to backup, uh, you know, behind a young guy uh, numerous times throughout my career. And, you know, what he showed me and how he treated me and the advice and his willingness to help me um, and the way he carried himself and was always positive towards me went a long way in shaping who I would become uh, when I played those different roles throughout my career. And so I would say he was one of the, the guys early on that uh, really you know took me under his wing and kind of taught me how to play the game, how to be a, a, an NFL quarterback, uh, but also how to handle yourself big picture wise outside of football and the kind of person that you want to be and how that carries over to other people in the locker room, no matter what role you have. Um, so he was a guy that, uh, you know, that, that I'm very grateful to for a lot of different reasons, but, uh, but it was basically because of his class and his leadership and, and all the stuff that I was able to glean from that. Yeah, uh, Diggs, we're talking to Kurt Warner. At Tone Diggs is a man who thought he had COVID yesterday. Turns out he did not, so we're happy that he's God here. Kurt. So glad happy to be here. Thanks for being here, Kurt. You just talked about being a leader and potentially replacing somebody. You also talked about last week how when Tua is replacing Ryan Fitzpatrick, a similar situation happened to you with Eli in New York. So what is the locker room like this week? Does it get better? Does it get more normal as the season goes on? And kind of what – what is Ryan Fitzpatrick's feelings going into this week, preparing Tua to be the starter for the first time? Yeah, I mean, as time goes by, I think it does get easier. But, you know, a big part of that is what happens on the football field. You know, you can like both quarterbacks. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, you guys can attest to this. Bottom line is we want to be successful. We want to win. And, you know, no player wants to wait until next year. No player wants to be a part of a, a building process. You want to win now. You want to compete now because you don't know how many opportunities you're going to have. And so that will be the first part of this is Tua, when he, when he lines up against the Rams and that really good team, what does he look like? Because if he doesn't look very good on the football field, the rumblings are going to start. Happened with me uh, in New York uh, when Eli took over for me. He has struggled at different times in the early stages of his career. Uh, you know, I remember hearing the conversations. I remember players, veteran players coming up to me and going, why are we doing this now? You know, why are we making this move? You know, you should be in there. You're the best guy for the job, and, and we have a chance to make the playoffs and all of that stuff. So a big part of Ryan Fitzpatrick's role, even though he probably, you know, doesn't want that role, is to be an extension of the coaching staff and be an extension of the organization, and you have to appease your teammates and the locker room. And you've got to be an advocate for the young guy that is the future of the franchise. And so, you know, it seems counterproductive or counterintuitive for me to go in and go, okay, hey, guys, this is why, you know, Eli's starting. This is why we have to play him. And this is a long-term answer and why the coaches made this decision. You know, at the same time, you're sitting here going, but I want to be in there. I want to be playing. I know I'm the better guy. And that's going to be, you know, kind of the, the balancing act for Fitz is, you know, when he talked and, and he made his comments about how much it hurt, and then he makes comments like, I don't know if I'm ever going to play 
or start another game in the NFL. And and some of those things and those emotions are really hard to balance because, you know, you go out there and you want your team to do well and you want the young guy to do well, but then there's part of you that says, well, maybe I don't want him to do that well because if he doesn't, maybe I get another chance to, to play um, because I really want to be back out there and I was playing good football. So you really have to fight that balance and you got to push your ego aside um, and that will go a long way in determining what this locker room looks like and what this team looks like the rest of the year. You know, no one fits like I do. I think he's going to handle it really well. Uh, you know, as disappointed as he was last week, I think he's going to do a great job of, of helping Tua where he needs to help Tua, but helping the team and the organization to move forward where he needs to do that. We don't know Fitz as much as you, but that Zoom call was heartbreaking. It <laughs> was a heartbreak. That was tough to watch. We showed it as it was happening because the internet mm-hmm. was starting to pop off. Like, we were getting quotes from Joe Shad down there. He was like, Ryan Fitzpatrick just said that his heart was broken yesterday. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa I did not expect whoa. that. Like, I, I did not. So we played the thing. He just looked like a sad. I was like, oh, my God, that's our guy. That's a magic man. What's going on? He's going to, in your eyes, he's obviously going to have to change that because a lot of the locker room tension is going to be released as soon as Ryan Fitzmagic says, I understand why this is happening. But as a human, that's going to be very hard to do if you're Fitz because you're having a great run at the moment. It's a fine balance. It's a fine balance. What do you got, Ty? Kurt, it seems like over the last decade or so, uh, when it comes to quarterbacks getting drafted in the NFL, these are guys who, like, come up through like elite 11 so people know them by the time they're like sophomores in high school and they're this is going to be a tough answer but do you think there is any quarterback in the future that will like replicate your career path do you think that'll ever happen again i I think it'll be hard um and you know the reason that i i believe it will be so hard is because there's really no other outlets to play football like I had. Whoa, 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 whoa. Come on. Dwayne Johnson is going to work harder than anybody with the XFL, Kurt. Okay, I will, I will believe you as you say that. And, <laughs> and we need to see that because, you know, that was the one thing. Even though, you know, it wasn't typical, um, you know, I often joke about it. You know, so I had a tryout with the Green Bay Packers uh, when I came right out of college. And obviously Brett Favre was there at the time was just kind of taking over the Packers there in 94. And from the moment that I got cut by the Green Bay Packers until the moment I retired from the National Football League, retired in 2009, Brett Favre did not miss a single start in the National Football League. That entire time, he didn't miss a single start. And I say that because had I made the team with the Green Bay Packers, I would have been sitting on the bench behind Brett Favre. I would have played a few snaps here and there in preseason games and there's no way that i would have been prepared to play the same way i was when i went and played arena football for three years and i was the guy and in arena football you guys know it's it's all about throwing every snap and you have to score every time you touch the ball it was a tremendous training ground for me then i played over in europe for a year so i got four years of experience playing a whole bunch of football and so when i got my my second chance in the nfl I was such a better player. I was more mature as a person, but I had really grown up as a player and and learned some skills. And, you know, I played one year in college. So I needed that time, um, you know, not just to show people that I could play, but to prove to myself and to get better so that I could play. And I think that's the biggest problem now is I'm sure there's other guys out there that are more talented than I was that could play at the highest level without a doubt. But it's where do you showcase yourself? How do you get that opportunity? 
because I that's what I was saying to myself when I was going through it was, man, how do I get an opportunity in the NFL? How do I get another chance to play? Well, at least at that time, there was film to see. If somebody stumbled across me, there were coaches in the arena league that I know called, you know, NFL, uh, you know, GMs and coaches and said, hey, come look at this guy. Get this guy out of our league. And so they, you know, made some calls for me. You know, I ultimately got the chance in Europe because, you know, one of the coaches, Al Luganville, had seen me play arena football. He's the one that brought me over to Europe. He went a long ways in getting me signed by the Rams. And so that to me becomes the bigger question, not could somebody do it from a talent perspective? It's really just how do they showcase that and get the opportunity for the NFL to see them to give them the opportunity to prove that they belong. I'm not sure anybody's going to be able to do what Kurt Warner did. No way. There's no way anybody's going to be able to do what you did. But I, I believe there's chances. Like P.J. Walker, for instance, back up at the Colts, he goes into the XFL pre-rock. Okay? Mm-hmm. Oh, yep. Pre-rock, by the way. He has a day now he's on the Carolina Panthers or whatever behind Teddy. It's like there. I think there has to be that other league. But the problem with those other leagues, by the way, to the story of Kurt Warner, there's no quarterback. It seems like there's no quarterbacks. And if you don't have great quarterbacks, the league is going to go straight down. That's why I think the XFL was entertaining because there was some guys that were out there slinging it. The Rock, though, is going to work harder than anybody on earth. Harder than harder than Robert Kraft, Bill Belichick, everything like that. This NFL, it's been around 101 years. The Rock is going to work harder than all of them, and the XFL is going to be back, and there will be more Kurt Warners down the road oh, yeah. because yeah. The yeah. Rock said yes. so. Woo! Right. I'm in. I'm in. I'm all in for that. Oh, you don't have a lot of faith. It sounds, <laughs> oh, like, geez, uh, Kurt. it sounds like you don't have a lot of faith, Kurt. That's what it sounds well, like. Here's here's what I believe. is I believe it's going to be hard for any other league to make it unless the NFL decides to buy in. And I think the NFL should buy in. We need a league for offensive linemen. We need a league for quarterbacks. We need a league for development uh, You know, for the next generation. Um, but I just think it's going to be very hard. I mean, you guys know the NFL has, you know, has this thing locked down. And if you can get them to support it and you can get some kind of connection between your local XFL team and your local NFL team or your your regional team, I think now people can start to buy in and see how it transfers from the one league to the next. I just think it's really hard to compete with the NFL because it is such a unique beast. Um, And so that's why I'm always skeptical. We've seen a lot of people try it. Nobody's been able to pull it off, and, and I believe it needs a connection to the uh, NFL. Yeah. <laughs> if it wasn't for the Nachos guy over in Seattle who had uh, COVID, I think I think XFL potentially survives this last time. Uh, last question before we like, how is the NFL not a monopoly? By the way, is there some ooh, ooh. CFL? I, I don't want to bring it up because I love the NFL and I don't want to get, uh, run into any shit or whatever. But that does seem like that should mm-hmm. be a question to ask at this point. Hopefully, The Rock will change that with the XFL's reemergence here. Uh, I, I do believe unfairly judged that it went out of business last time because COVID kind of sideswiped it but maybe the rock will be able to do it zito last question before we go we only got a couple minutes yeah we're talking about your second chance in the nfl but uh i see right here in your wikipedia that you had a chance with the bears but then a spider bite stopped you from trying out he's diehard bears fan yeah, by bear the way man that just asked that question how'd that happen what happened there okay so here's how it happened so i'm playing in the arena football league and obviously trying to get my opportunity somewhere else and so as i mentioned earlier there was actually another coach in the arena league that knew um, the general manager of the Bears at the time. He's actually the one that made the call and said, will you please work this guy out? I want to get him out of the league. Oh, what and so the Bears called me um, and asked if I would work out for him. And of course, yeah, whenever you need, I'm, I'm in, I'm locked in. You tell me a day and a time and I'm in. So they told me a day and a time and I was like, oh, great. 
And I went running in to tell my wife, I'm like, I got to try out with the Bears. I'm going to get my second shot. And she wasn't real excited when I told her. And I was like, dear, what, what's the deal? What's the problem? And she said, well, you can't try out for the Bears on Friday because we're getting married on Saturday. Oh. You know, completely, completely, completely you know, dropped it out of my mind. I was like, okay, all right, let me call the Bears back. No problem. Called the Bears back and said, okay, any other time, I fought, you know, just dropped this out of my mind because I was so excited. Any other time. So they're like, all right, next Friday or next whatever. So I went back and told my wife again. And once again, she's not excited. And I'm like, what is the problem now? We're going on our honeymoon next oh, week. So, yeah, really, it was, it was this bad. So I had to call him back a third time and go, okay, all right, sorry about this. Again, the excitement took over. Any other time, when I get back from my honeymoon, any other time, I am in to work out for you guys. So uh, my agent got a call uh, two days before I was coming back on my honeymoon. Uh, coming back on a Monday, I was going to go and fly to Chicago and work out for them on a Tuesday. That's a long one. The night before we left on our honeymoon, I, you know, or the moment, the morning I woke up to leave on our honeymoon, uh, my right elbow was swollen about the size of a grapefruit. Oh, oh no! I was, I had fevers and I was sweating, and you know, still to this day, we don't know what it was. They said it was hey, a centipede friends. or a spider had probably bitten me, uh, you know, on my throwing elbow. So I had to call the Bears back again and tell them, you know, I can't work out for you because I got bit by a spider. And at that point, you could just imagine they're going, who is this guy? (laughs) (laughs) A chance to compete in the NFL. And listen to these stories he's coming up with. So needless to say, the third time, they're like, okay, done. They never called me again. A couple weeks later, I was able to hook up with the Rams, sign a contract with the Rams, and – and as they say, the rest is history. The universe decided uh, to not send you to Chicago for whatever Amen. reason. I think I it will. The Bears fans out there, but it worked out pretty well for me uh, in that situation. And I actually had another chance when I was leaving the uh, the Giants to go sign with the Bears. They wanted to bring me in for a visit, but they told me I was going to have to start third on the depth chart. No uh, way! I decided to pass on that and go to Arizona instead. So and go to another again, Super Bowl. Yeah. Out pretty well for me. Yeah, the universe Let's has go, made Kurt. good decisions for you in a long time, ladies and gentlemen. Kurt Warren, Hello, thank Kurt. you, man. Yeah. Thank you, Kurt. Hey, so sorry to interrupt. I just want to let you know that today our show is brought to you by the good people at Thursday Boot Company. All right. It's a bootstrap startup that makes the best handcrafted boots and sells them direct to consumer at some of the lowest markups in the footwear industry. Really? Yeah. Really. And I know boots are expensive, too. Well, I think the reason why they're expensive is because the prices are marked up so goddamn much. It sounds like it. I mean, I haven't gone all the way through this thing, but two sentences in, it sounds like the markups in the footwear industry are unbelievable. Can't win with them. Won't win with them. Can't do it. Won't do it. Thursday Boots' tagline is highest quality, honest prices. Because they use some of the best materials like full grain leather. Wow. Wow. Supple glove leather lining. Wow. Wow. Hey, supple glove leather lining doesn't fuck around. No, it doesn't. It does not. If you're listening to this right now, go ahead and say supple glove leather lining a few times (laughs) to see how it goes. As hard as it is to say... It is 45 times more comfortable to wear. Well said. Well, it's not easy to say, so well said by you, too. Hey, thank you. Thank you for acknowledging that what I just said was well said, by the way. Absolutely. 
and they have gold standard Goodyear Welk construction. Oh. Just like the legacy brands that charge $400 or more for similar styles, but Thursday Boot Company sells their boots at prices starting at just $149 with free shipping and free return. Because of the great designs, quality, and great value, Thursday Boot Company has been featured in all of the best fashion press. Mm-hmm. We were just talking the other day. Hey, hasn't that Thursday Boot Company been all over the fucking fashion press? I think they had it in Vogue, you know. Is that they they were in Vogue, weren't they? They were in Vogue. Okay, yeah. I thought they were. I was just double checking. How about Cosmo? Yeah. GQ. Mm-hmm. Esquire, ever heard of it? Oh, so basically all the biggest ones. All the big fashion press, Thursday Boot Company, has been talked about in there. With their bootstrap startup that's cutting out the ridiculous markups in the footwear industry. Look at these guys. More importantly, they've gotten over 20,000 five-star reviews from real customers. Wow. That's nothing to sneeze at. That's a lot of fucking reviews. Mm-hmm. Speaking of, uh, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Yep. If you're listening right now. Mm-hmm. Because we someday hope to be like the Thursday Boot Company with 20,000 five-star reviews. That's a lot of happy, happy customers putting their feet in the Thursday boots. That is a lot. We could use a nice groundswell of uh, votes like that. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday Boot Companies, Mm -hmm. no five-star reviews. Not a chance. Thursday Boot Company, 20,000 five-star reviews from real customers. Unbelievable. Handcrafted with the highest quality materials to be comfortable, versatile, and durable, Thursday boots are perfect for people who understand quality and don't want to pay a high retail markup, but looking for a great pair of boots that are built to last. Sounds like me. With prices starting at $149 and free shipping and returns, Thursday boots are the best buy this winter, and with their clean, timeless design and durability, Thursday boots will keep you standing confident for years to come. While they don't do sales or discounts, head on over to thursdayboots.com and get free shipping and returns. Give them a try and you'll have a pair on your doorstep before next Thursday. Wow. it's good marketing. That's T-H-U-R-S-D-A-Y-B-O-O-T-S.com to get your pair today. Back to the show. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, I don't know if this guy lotions up his thighs or his hammies, but I do know he is a great conversation about the football. Uh, Joining us, a man who's a part of the Eagles Hall of Fame, two-time Pro Bowler, and an All-Pro running back, Brian Westbrook. going on man good afternoon pat i need some of that cbd lotion and the oil i need a little bit of all of that they they don't work the way they used to work okay i'm happy i feel like an old man i'll put it on there like right before i go to bed or whatever i'm like man i i I used to see guys that were really healthy and good at what they did they used to do so i'm like imitating what i've seen other people do but then i wake up the next morning and there's a little bit of soreness gone i'm like well now was that the sleep was that the "Eh, oh fuck it i'll just keep going with it you know what i mean just keep going with it Absolutely. I, I know all about that, man. Nine years in the NFL and now I'm 41. It, it takes a toll on your body. Your body reacts differently now. You look like you're incredibly, uh, still in incredibly good shape, though. You work out every day, yeah? You know, I, I try to get on the bike as often as I can. It probably ends up being about four times a week. It's definitely not every day. I tell you that. I got three kids, so I'm running around every single day. Uh, not exercising every day, for sure. If I do recall, I think you have horses, too. Aren't oh, you a yeah. big horse uh-huh. guy? Yeah, I got a horse farm down in Maryland. So, yeah, I'm, I'm down there messing around, throwing around bales of hay, things like that. Oh, blue collar. 
blue collar out there. I'm a working man. Uh, hey, let's talk about uh, let's talk a little bit about football, uh, more specific, which I assume you get talked about or asked about a lot. Andy Reid's offensive system. We, you obviously were in it in Philadelphia. It has evolved as every offense has evolved, but at its core, it is still the same thing. Le'Veon Bell gets dropped into that offense alongside Clyde Edwards-Alaire. We were having a conversation. We think that you had to share time in the backfield too. At one point, I think we're not one hundred percent sure. How do you think that relationship's going to go? Because Le'Veon Bell said that he reached out to Clyde Edwards-Alaire. He was like, hey, I don't want to cause any problem. And CEH, who's a rookie, he's like, hey, don't you worry about that. And we talked to Ronald Jones down in Tampa, and he's like, everybody knows that if you want to get to where you want to go to, you might need a couple horses in the backfield there. How do you think that whole thing is going to play out? And what do you think Andy Reid's ultimately going to be able to do with Le'Veon Bell if he's the same Le'Veon Bell he was a couple years ago and he was the guy? Well, you know, in the NFL at this point, it's all about winning. And running backs have to understand there's not a bunch of running backs that are going to be the sole guy uh, all year long. I mean, just because of injuries, attrition, all different types of things. And so running backs have to understand you're normally going to share the wealth just a bit. Now, it's not always going to be normal when you're a first-round pick that you get an all-pro like Le'Veon <laughs> Bell that can do it all um, that, that's going to come onto your team. But that's just another opportunity for Clyde edwards Elayer to, to learn. Learn from one of the best in the game. Learn from one of the guys that have done it at a high level. And, and more importantly than all of that, learning and, and sharing, more importantly, this helps your team get better. This helps you get closer to the NFL championship. It helps you get closer to a ring. And that's the goal. That should be everyone's goal. And it's not just about stats. It's about winning. And uh, bringing in Le'Veon Bell certainly helps this chief team uh, get closer to winning. Now, when you talk about how L, how was uh, Andy Reid going to be able to use Le'Veon, I mean, how could you not use him? How, in what situation would you not feel comfortable putting a guy like Le'Veon Bell in the, in the game? We're talking about he can do it all. He can line up as a receiver and run routes. He can run from the backfield. He can run uh, a power. He can run inside, outside zone. He does everything that a coach could ask a running back to do. And I'll tell you this. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, he does a lot of the similar things. I'm I'm still waiting for him to continue to grow as a receiver out of the backfield as far as being displaced and run routes out there. But, you know, for the most part, uh, it's almost uh, foolproof when you add another guy that can do it all into that offense. Brian, when you look at the Eagles, uh, it seems like Carson Wentz has a good week one week, a bad week the next, and then a good week. He's just wildly inconsistent. And with the way that fan base is, do you think there's any buyer's remorse there? And do they think he's actually a guy that can lead them to another Super Bowl? You know, it's funny. I um, I, I love Philadelphia. And obviously, I was an Eagle for a long time. Oh, <laughs> you're about to hammer so, Philly. I'm excited to hear this. I'm this excited. Is, now, this is nothing crazy, but – so last week, um, Boston Scott caught a touchdown ball last Thursday. Seems like it's a long time ago now. He caught a touchdown touchdown ball, and I immediately put on my my Twitter, "Great catch by Boston Scott." You know, congrats, bro. You know, I know I have a personal relationship with Boston. We talked before the games, things like that. And the Philadelphia fans, they jumped down my throat. I mean, jumped down my throat <laughs> because I didn't congratulate Carson first. And my comment was simple: I expect a first-round pick, the number two draft pick overall, a guy that's gotten paid $100 million bucks to be able to make those types of throws. That's what I expect from Carson to do on a consistent basis. And you're right, he has been inconsistent. So I, I say all that to say the people in Philadelphia will never give up on Carson Wentz. They still believe that he can get it done. 
I think he's gotten better over these last couple games. But the most important part for him is to be consistent. And we haven't seen a consistent Carson Wentz for four quarters. We've seen a couple quarters here and there. We've seen his play go up and down. We've seen him be great. Then we've seen him be average, make bad decisions. And that's what you, you can't do as a starting quarterback in this NFL. You have to be able to be consistent so that your coaches and the guys around you know exactly what to count on when they're looking in your direction for a play. We're talking to one of the most underrated running backs in the history of the game, Brian Westbrook of the Philadelphia Eagles. That NFC East just sucks. I mean, it's just complete <laughs> trash. But everybody in the NFC East knows it. Like, they all, every single coach or player that you've heard speak is like, in the NFC East, we still got a chance here if we get hot. Now you're seeing the Dallas Cowboys kind of being an everything-must-go type situation, maybe a rebuild because that locker room is getting a bit toxic. When you heard about what was going on in the Dallas Cowboys locker room with the leaks to media about how the coaches can't coach, and I think some of the players potentially thought that the narrative would be, oh, these coaches stink because Mike McCarthy looks like he's just been hanging out. Mike Nolan's scheme looks like it's getting absolutely cooked. But, by the way, those are very obvious things I think we all thought to begin with but the original thought was like man six weeks into this thing you should not be leaking that type of information to the media that's kind of the, the message that I thought and everybody I've talked to you as a guy that was in the NFL nine years and you were on some teams by the way that had a little toxicity brewing in the locker room over there in Philadelphia what was your thoughts on the Dallas Cowboys and the NFC East as a whole at this moment well the worst thing you can do um, in a team sport like like we played in um, is begin to allow uh, secrets or voices to start leaking out of your locker room to the media. That, that's the absolute worst thing you could do. I, I just remember Andy Reid in every every single year I was there uh, in his first press in his first meeting with the team. He would always say, uh, "No one outside of our locker room can help the guys inside of our locker room. Nothing that you say to those people outside, media, family, friend, whoever that is." can help us win football games. Only the 53 guys on the team and the coaches can help us win football games. So whatever you're saying outside of the locker room is not going to help us, so just don't do it. When you start getting those types of things um, leaked outside of the locker room, that just shows there's a bigger problem inside of the locker room. And at that point, that's when as a leader on the team, you have to step up and say, all right, this is how it's going to go. And it's simple. It's going to go this way. We're not going to act that way. We're not going to go talk out of turn. We're not going to start blaming people. We're going to start working a little bit harder. We're going to show some pride in our work, and we're going to do the things that count, the small things that count. And all those things are, are, are what's lacking in, in Dallas. We're talking about after. Oh, oh no. Right. He was awesome. He was going there. Right. We're talking about effort. We're talking yeah. about buying in, I think, is where he was going to go right yeah. there. He, he was on quite a good run. He was there. running. Connor had a question for him, too, I'm sure. Yeah. I, Real the, good question. I was I sitting at the sure edge of my seat times. for that, honestly. Yeah. Kept on saying it over my head. I'm still ready. To, I can't believe I'm saying another See, word. See, let's what talk about it? that because he might have given the answer to your question already yeah. and you weren't even listening because you were saying the fucking question so, over your head. So, that no, so he didn't. He touched no, you on don't it know. Boston. You don't know. I do because I this he happened was about to talk about it. This happened last week, though. Somebody talked about preparation. Somebody gave an answer for like 45 seconds. It was a great answer. And then you followed up with, hey, so I was wondering, and it was because just listen to Brian I was. You're a good communicator. You're a good conversation. Just listen to him. What I didn't even mention was Brian Westbrook actually. Quit horse ride. in fantasy draft I took was my first pick. I love that guy. Yeah, but you were thinking that while he was talking. We don't. He doesn't care about that. <laughs> no, I was thinking about Brian. What I was Brian, ask welcome him. back, man. Sorry about that. You were hey, on man, a run. Jerry Jerry Jones came in and, and interrupted. <laughs> <laughs> 
all about. But listen, you know, at some point, the leaders in that locker room have to step up and say something. That's normally Dak in these types of situations. He's obviously not there. Ezekiel Elliott needs to step up. Um, you know, all the guys on the defensive side, Lawrence needs to step up. Uh, Jalen Smith needs to step up. Here's the problem. Those are the guys that are struggling at this point. Those are the guys that aren't playing very well. So when the people that need to step up, their leaders aren't playing well, who's going to step up now? At this point, you can tell there's no one stepping up and down and saying the right things and doing the right things. That's why you're having problems. It's very hard to be somebody that comes out and says something uh, if you're not somebody who is doing you know, like it's very hard for a bad player to be a leader. Very, very hard because as soon as somebody who maybe is overpaid uh, and everybody, we don't talk about money in the locker room, but everybody knows how much somebody's making and whether or not they're performing up to what they're hurting our salary cap against. And then when those people start projecting things, that is some of the best. That's some of the best reactions. I've uh, this mother, what you, oh, that's interesting coming from you. And then it almost causes it to be even worse. So it's like, you need your best guys to also be your best leaders and and it seems like Mike McCarthy thinks get them all out. All the veterans on the defensive side, get them out of here. Let's see you later. Let's start this whole thing over. Uh, it's going to be interesting to kind of see how it goes because Jerry Jones just said yesterday he doesn't see a void in leadership. Well, why are you getting rid of every single vet then? That is a, that is an interesting question, what's going on. Uh, and the big D will always be dysfunctional, I think, and that's what that stands for. Uh, Connor has a great question for you. Yeah, I do. You know what? I'll change it up, though, Brian. Let's stay with Dallas. Oh, uh, if you're Ezekiel oh, Elliott and sleeve. you fumble twice when you have sleeves on, are you never wearing sleeves again? And also, is he one of those guys that can't really be a leader right now because he's performing so poorly yeah his play unfortunately just kind of says that you can't be a leader right now and and listen it's it's one of those unwritten rules where you say okay if you're going to lead you got to show me by example and if you're out there making the same mistakes as the other guys that you're trying to talk to then of course it, there's no position for you to talk you know as far as fumbling goes I never wore sleep because I never wanted to have an excuse as to why I put the ball on the ground. Um, I'm still shocked that Zeke, and he's been wearing sleeves for his entire career. I'm still shocked that he continues to wear them, especially in a climate control uh, situation down there in Dallas. He doesn't need those sleeves to protect mm. him, to keep him warm, anything like that. Yes. Um, it just That's his comfort level. That's the things that he likes to do. Personally, I never wore sleeves, though. I just... I want the contact between my arm and the in 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 the actual ball, so that I know the ball is secure on my on my waist and the five points of pressure, of course. Well, especially that sleeve that he's wearing. That's like a big. That was like a hundred percent cotton. Like, that might have been <laughs> slick, kind of loose and baggy. Just you know, I, I kind of he looks like he does it for the look. Um, but it's, it would be hard for me to play football Ooh. like that with having those types of sleeves on. I, whenever I carried a ball, I was always very loose with it, LaShawn mm-hmm. McCoy, but I always want bare skin on me. Yeah, yeah. feel it. Yeah, because I want to be able to feel the leather, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, there yeah. You go. yeah, yeah. What do you got, Fitz? <laughs> sorry. That's uh, all right, go ahead, <laughs> No, I was just going to ask about – Doug Peterson, like, is, oh. is his time coming to an end in Philadelphia if they don't turn things around? Well, generally, after the Super Bowl, you get a few years uh, of judgment-free coaching. And the Eagles won the Super Bowl in 2017, so that those three-year period is, is closely, I mean, very closely coming to an end. You, you know, Doug, you, you got to be realistic of what's going on with this football team. Uh, you, you look out there these last couple of weeks, they had nine out of the 11 original starters on the offensive side playing in the game. It was Carson Wentz and Jason Kelsey. It's hard to win in the NFL without talent. It's hard to win with that many backups playing, period. 
And that's not a dub thing. That's the situation. Obviously, COVID cut short uh, training camp and mini camps, things like that. And you can't really blame the head coach for the health of his players. Now, what you can blame of the head coach for is, is guys not playing for you. And what I think we've seen at, from Doug Peterson is a team that's willing to go out there and play with for him, even though they are down a bunch of players. And so they continue to go out there and compete. They go out, continue to go out there and play hard for him, even though there's some hard-fought wins like the game against the Giants last week. They continue to find a way. I think Doug, as a coach, continues to appreciate that. And because of those reasons, I think he gets more time in Philadelphia to try to right the ship just a little bit. Him saying we are right where we're supposed to be, one, four, and one, with a straight face. I was like, this guy, yeah, yeah. this guy's yeah. having That's hard a, to believe. That's hard to believe. That's having a rough go at this particular point. Um, a lot of guys getting traded right now. And back when you played, and even whenever I played just, what, four years ago, three years ago, there wasn't as many trades, right? It was always, like, talked about, but there wasn't actually – as many triggers pulled whenever it comes to shipping a man and his family to another city in the middle of the season. But now it feels like it's happening. You got Everson Griffin obviously going from the Cowboys to the Detroit Lions. You got Carlos Dunlap who put his house up for sale immediately after last week's game. He's now going to the Seattle Seahawks. Both those teams improved uh, dramatically, hopefully. Ranked 26th, I think, and 29th in the NFL. Uh, the Lions and the Seahawks and sacks and everything like that. So they made moves to help their team. I like the current NFL organizations trying to go for it right now like what do we need we need this piece let's go for it. now if i was a player uh you know seeing my friend just get picked up and thrown across it i mean that is obviously the human aspect of out of it but as a fan of the nfl now i enjoy a little bit more aggressive moves by organizations trying to go get it right now do you feel the same way i do i love the nba because of the trade deadlines i love free agency because of people moving around and when you talk about the evaluation of your current team, if you're the Seattle Seahawks, you're saying our defense is not very good. We have to go find us an edge rusher. How do we attack the quarterback? That's why you go get Carlos, Carlos, Carlos Dunlap. And so that's, that's the type of things that I like. It makes it more exciting. It also kind of adds another piece to the puzzle. How do you make things more interesting? Oh, okay, you're close. If you need a couple more pieces, then that's what you do right before the trade deadline. So to me, it adds excitement. Uh, to our NFL league. What do the Eagles need? Just a whole new team? <laughs> if, uh, how many guys can you trade at once? They need to, get, they need to bring in a whole, new, hey, a whole new group of guys. It's like John Wall when he was playing spades during that interview, and he's like, I need, all, I need a whole new hand. Yeah, Sorry, what did you ask? Ladies and gentlemen, Brian Westbrook. Thank yeah! you, man. So sorry to interrupt yet again, but I just want to ask you, what does a guy call his best friends? His buddies? Close. His pals? Close. Amigos? Hmm? His testies besties. Ah, <laughs> sure. You do hear that a lot. Halloween is right around the corner. You don't want to spook someone with your scary-ass bush, do you? No, definitely not. Our friends at Manscaped want to help make your boys downstairs clean and best friends of their own. Manscaped is number one in men's below-the-waist grooming and offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Can I get a good roar out of you? Like what kind of roar? I want it to be like the Buffalo Wild Wings commercial roar. Oh, okay, I got you. Roar! You might be Chewbacca, Bigfoot, or a hairy bear, but it's what's under the costume that really matters. Don't be that hairy guy, okay? Manscaped is forever changing the grooming game with their perfect package 3.0. Can I get one more of those? Yeah, sure. <laughs> wow! 
Inside the perfect package, you'll find their electric trimmer called the Lawnmower 3.0. This waterproof and skin safe trimmer will reduce nicks to your pumpkins. You can also create less mess by trimming in the shower or using their magic mat disposable shaving mats. Nice. It's always a problem whenever you're uh, manscaping mm-hmm. or grooming yourself. The hair just goes everywhere. Then what? You got to sweep it all up. Yeah. And how how prevalent is a a broom and a thing in your bathroom whenever you're shaving yourself. Never. You have to walk all the way to the kitchen, grab mm-hmm. it, do the whole thing. So they made the magic mat, which is disposable shaving mats that actually the hair sticks to, and then you just throw it away. Oh, wow. That's a genius idea. It's really smart. And of course, let's not forget about the crop preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. You already put deodorant on your armpits. Why are you not putting deodorant on the smelliest part of your body? Great question. The Perfect Package 3.0 also includes an anti-chafing performance boxer brief that keeps your package cool and smelling fresh all day for on the Go freshness, you will love the crop reviver ball toner spray. It's time to get clean and mean with this perfect package 3.0. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PATM. No spaces. Okay. PATM at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping. Stay sexy this Halloween. Your balls will thank you. 20% off free shipping with code PATM at manscaped.com. M-A-N-S-C-A-P-E-D.com. 20% off free shipping. Code PATM. Trick or treat. Keep your balls neat, cuz. Back to the show. Joining us now is a man who's a national champion and a Super Bowl champion, Mr. A.J. Hawk. Yeah! A.J., how's it going? What's up, fellas? I, I tell you what, I, I got to watch uh, that Charles Davis <laughs> interview. That dude just exudes positivity. He's a, he's a, he makes you a better person, I feel like, just watching him speak. He's the best. Uh, His aura, I, like, I just like everything about him. Now, listening to a game, he's very different than anybody else that calls game, which is why I think I appreciate him in there. There are some things where he says and he, he does it. You can see how some people who maybe don't know Charles are like, oh, I hate this guy or whatever. I love Charles Davis. I am a big, what, big What does Char- he do? That what does he do that someone may not like? He just likes football. Like, he's excitable, you know? And like, jet animated. He, like, he enjoys yeah. football. So most of these commentators are either trying to create nicknames and things for themselves because they kind of maybe let money and a little bit of success go to their brains and think they have, like, a god complex when it comes to football. Some <laughs> are just very old and boring whenever they're calling games, and some people are monotone. He's an excitable guy in there, and that, I think that is potentially why I love watching games that he calls. Well, first off, what announcers are out there trying to create nicknames for themselves? I'm, I'm unaware of this. No, not for themselves. Oh, for no, other, yeah, people. other players. Yeah. Coining them Oh, themselves. just like they think, like, hey, this is my thing. I can name other players. I can be funny. I'm a funny guy that can give cool nicknames. I'm about over Tony Romo. Hate him. Is he doing it? What's he do? Oh, just every week he has some new broad, grand fucking genius idea that needs to happen. Listen, I like Tony Romo, okay? The shoe game is terrible. One of the most disgusting shoe games I've ever seen. Get out of here. The fact that he's in those jacked up sketcher maxes and in the commercial the whole thing mm-hmm. like listen i respect him going to get your thing but i think he has become a different commentator than he was before it used to be like the fun loving guy here we go let's have a good time now they're like the we are better and smarter than everybody commentating group which i don't love at all a though. thousand percent because him and nance usually do the cbs game and being a packers fan you know i'm always i'm i'm very rarely watching them live I used to like him as well, and boy, does the arrogance just ooze out of the mic now. It's unreal. It really is. And it's listen, I like Tony Romo. I'm just saying this is what people are saying, not me. Tried to create National Yak Day on National 
professional tight, tight end, end day. day. It's like, hey, buddy, let's try and enjoy this day. And then Mapletron, this Chase Claypool kid, has an entire brand already, trademark, copyrighted, has an entire clothing line. Do we like Mapletron? Shut up, Tony. Who cares, Tony? It's not, it doesn't matter if you like it, Tony. Like, I don't know. I like Stoops. Tony Romo. I think he's changed the game in a good way. Mm-hmm. He's shown excitement towards football, which it was lacking for decades, I guess. But Charles Davis does the same thing. You guys are so negative. Uh, no. Oh, 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 Nick, isn't that interesting, Nick? And maybe that was Nick and Toxic Ty mm-hmm. whoa, whoa, kind of whoa. dropping this stuff about oh, yeah. Tony Romo oh, yeah. into my ears and maybe me no, paying attention no, to it a little bit. This is and Tony, maybe, no, this is just Tony Romo. Same thing that happened in his football career has happened in his broadcast career. Like he starts out with a lot of hope and then everyone fucking hates him. And unfortunately, that's I mean, I'm not going that I'm not saying that. The okay. opinions of Connor do not reflect that. The people, I'm sorry. The people employee. No, that was, that was a lot of hate. We don't know that We just think that he potentially... You know, started feeling himself a little bit too much. And he's, you know, I like listening to him call a game, but there's some things he said here in the last couple of weeks. A cramp, he said, for Dak. Yeah, Come on. I mean, the, the Mapletron thing really <laughs> pissed me off because I just became friends with uh, Chase Claypool. He came mm-hmm. on the show. Good guy. He's like, okay, like, what are we burying a guy's entire brand that he's creating right now where he's making money? Like, take it easy, pal. And then the National Yak Day on National <laughs> Tight End Day, it's like, what? Do you hate Jason Witten? Like, Whoa, do you want, wow. you don't want tight ends to wow. get any credit? Like, there's just a couple things that have happened here where I'm like, hey, Tony, come on. Like, you, you helped out all commentators by taking the 17 yeah. million a year. Mm-hmm. Like, you've done a lot of great here. Let's just go back to the roots, the humble guy that loves everything, you know? Not the guy that's wearing the Skechers Max sitting on top of a fucking monster truck every day. Make a cut. He's good at his job. No one's disparaging that. Yeah. It's just, you know, listen, Tony, I'm coming to watch the marquee NFL matchup of this weekend. This ain't the fucking Tony Romo two-hour open yeah. night, uh, <laughs> open mic night at the Preach comedy club. Which Thank is, you. by the way, why people hate me calling games, because of what he just said there. So I can understand it probably catches a lot of hell, but in my eyes, I'm just like, hey, Tony, come on, just one year ago. You know, but if you get paid $17 million to call 17 games and just show up and then leave, I mean... It's hard not to feel yourself, I'd assume. I assume it's hard not to. Well, right? I think with him, I, I need to watch some more of those his CBS games, like the full game. Mm-hmm. I um, I want to see what this is. I'm going to start taking some notes on it. I want to see what some of these clever uh, quips he comes oh. up with. But anytime you come out of the gates as hot as he did, like Tony's first three or four weeks as a broadcaster, he was already crowned the greatest of all time. Almost. Mm-hmm. Yes. So he was, know, by the way. Be, yeah. 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 He there's going to be some backlash. So there's going to be some people that fall out and they get sick of it just because it was overwhelmingly positive, which usually isn't the case. By the way, that happens to me a lot. So I understand all these situations because this, this type of reaction happens to me by humans. But what I'm just saying is I feel like Tony Romo has forgotten you know, about the time where he wasn't making a million dollars a game and where he, you know, before he called uh, the greatest call in Super Bowl history, people say, like, before that, I feel like he forgot that. He's changed a little bit, but he still calls a beautiful game. He does. Get back to your roots. Still calls a beautiful game. Charles Davis does, too. He's excitable out there. He's got the Patriots and the Bills. Uh, There's some trade rumors happening with those two teams, with the Patriots. Did you hear about... Uh, the Green Bay Packers potentially being in the market for both Zach Ertz at some point, like hours before he went on to IR. And this morning, Will Fuller of the Houston Texans. That'd be a great weapon to add into that Green Bay Packers skill position core there for Aaron Rodgers. Who knows if that deal will get done. If Will Fuller's on the market, I assume there's other teams interested as well. How do you see this whole thing panning out? And are you excited that the Packers seem to be in on some action? I'm, I'm definitely excited. The Packers, I think either of these guys would be great, but Will Fuller, yeah, it was one I guess I wasn't thinking of before the news came out. When, when, when's the deadline where this all has to be done? Tuesday. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think Goody, he, sh- he has shown 
that he will definitely be more active in free agency and things like this than Ted Thompson was before at the Green Bay Packers. So, hey, why not bring him in? I mean, or are you worried about messing up the chemistry they already have? Well, I think they need another weapon, right, which is always the interesting thing. It's like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers bringing in Antonio Brown. Uh, the detractors were mad for numerous reasons. It was like, okay, what Antonio Brown did off the field, shouldn't be allowed to have another job again, okay. And then the Tampa Bay Buccaneers fans that were maybe against it were like, hey, we're building great chemistry right now. Our offense is looking better than ever. Why do you bring somebody else in that could potentially ruin it? But Le'Veon Bell got added to the Chiefs. It seemed like that was no distraction. Let's assume that Tom Brady and Antonio Brown in two weeks will be able to figure it out with that offense. I think adding weapons isn't a bad thing. And it feels like Will Fuller knows that if he goes to an Aaron Rodgers offense, he's going to be in a good spot. Yeah. Well, and isn't it? I mean, like you mentioned that, like when you have a guy like Mahomes or Rodgers or Brady, like, and I don't think he's really had any previous issues with being a bad teammate, but like that guy understands, right? I mean, he's going from the Texans, who are one of the worst teams in the NFL this year, to a team that legitimately has a chance to make a run at the Super Bowl. Are the Houston Texans everything must go at this point? Oh, wow. Does that mean J.J. Watt, potentially? Oh, J.J. Watt on the market, Donner. What did you get for J.J.? Yes, that should be your poll tomorrow, maybe, Z. How, what? Oh, if the Texans trade J.J. Watt, what down. do you get in return? Six. I'll write down right now. Seven. Thank you. Whoa, so you're thinking Tony. sixth or seventh Tony. pick at this point? Tony. Whoeverson Griffin was a pro bowler yesterday, and he got for a sixth. Was J.J. a pro bowler? Carlos Dunlap last wow. year was dominant. What it was? Uh, what was he got he, B.J. Finney, who was a it was a interior lineman. Backup interior lineman. And another pick, and it wasn't like a, a high pick because no. they would have said that alongside of it. You're right. A lot of players, when they get traded, to Diggs's point here, it does seem like, man, that's a little disrespectful. It, feels like. it does feel like that's disrespectful. Don Terry Poe, Daryl Worley, down there at the uh, Dallas Cowboys. Uh, Tom Pelissaro reported this morning that uh, they've been informed, basically, that they will be cut if they can't get traded, which... <laughs> Potentially eliminates all trade options because players will not, or teams will not want to give up any draft capital if they know that the person's going to be on the free agency market here in about an hour or two. So uh, I guess there's a lot of movement happening. Our team's rebuilding. Gilly Lock out of the Patriots is allegedly on the trade block, which has been for a while. I mean, I'm intrigued to see how this all plays out. We might look at some teams a lot differently now. If Carlos Dunlap can play good football for the Seattle Seahawks, and what if the Seahawks make a play for Stephon Gilmore? Like, there's a chance that teams get very, very good here in the next couple of days and maybe find that final piece that they need to make a real run at this thing. Yeah, I think the, the Carlos Dunlap trade is a, a prime example of one that could work out perfectly, really for both sides. I mean, the Bengals don't get much in return, but hey, didn't it, it already seem like, all right, it's just a matter of time. Like, Carlos is mad. He's listing his house for sale, which, by the way, I was there in 2015. Carlos tried to sell me that house when I said, I just need to rent a small apartment. He tried to sell me that. So that house, has been, that house has been for sale for a long time. Maybe wow. he's just a real estate agent. He found out this is a good time to announce it. Somebody want to buy this thing. And he's got Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon said he wants it. Oh, he does. Nice. See, yeah, Carlos, he's, I think he dabbles in real estate, commercial and residential. So I think he, he knew I was looking for a place to rent and he's like hey i got this sweet house up on the hill you can see the river it's awesome i'm like all right yeah cool man like i forget how much he wanted some astronomical amount i'm like well first off i'm gonna rent i may be here for two months carlos i live my real house is an hour and a half away that i would go to most every night after practice so no but i'll go rent a place close to you so you guys can be friends does he live there or is that just like another house you think i don't know i, I assume this is the place he lives but uh 
we're going back to what I said about him going to Seattle. Carlos is an absolute freak of nature. If you've ever seen the guy, he's nine feet tall. His he can cover <laughs> ten yards in about one and a half strides. Like I still remember, we ran our conditioning test, and we, you just run forties there, which I love. Yeah, it's, it's awesome when it's short. It's not the cut three hundreds or whatever, or the gassers. <laughs> Carlos was one next. The D linemen are down here, and Carlos's get off. Like when they say hit, Carlos's first two steps, he's like ten yards ahead of everybody. And then he can just cruise the whole time. Like, he is such an absolute freak. He just – I think his thing is, hey, he kind of picks and chooses his spots of when he decides to rush. Is it? Wouldn't it be awesome to be like that, just an absolute freak? Uh, well, I mean, I guess I am. I write, like, stronger than any other human to ever exist. But the – like, that type of stuff, I mean, that is that would be a very – very cool thing to be able to do. He's going to be motivated, right, getting out of Cincy because he wanted out. He publicly wanted out. He'll have a maybe a spite run with the Seattle Seahawks, which maybe if he does pick and choose his when he wants to go, he's going to want to go, I would assume, here early to prove everybody in Cincy, like, hey, fuck you, basically. And with Seattle, it's like we have a chance to really do this thing. What's up, Diggs? Hey, do you have any ties there still? Like, what's going on with Geno Atkins? Because he was Aaron Donald light for a long, long time, and then I guess he's not getting any playing time this year either. I don't know what's going on with Gino. And uh, my brother-in-law, Brady Quinn, was in town doing the big noon kickoff thing or whatever. Mm-hmm. Bra- uh, Pat, the opposite of game day uh, at Ohio State last weekend. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, he was in, doing a show with Fox. So he's Brady, uh, the, I, ratings I Brady so <laughs> the ratings The ratings are so low. <laughs> Brady asked me something about like the most dominant guy I've played with or whatever, and Gino was one of the first guys that popped into my mind. Like We couldn't practice if Gino was playing in practice because he would blow up every play. If they tried to run at him like our scout team, didn't matter. He's nine yards deep in the backfield taking the handoff. If they run away from him, he's getting a five-yard TFL on the other side. Like He is just – he was that strong – like the strongest lower body, his get off, he was unreal and probably the quietest guy I've ever been around. So I have no clue what's happening right now. So whenever he was basically announcing that he wanted to get traded, saying he's one of the quietest guys you've ever that was something you probably did not expect. And how many years ago was that? When I was there, twenty fifteen. I think so it's five years ago now so the question has to be asked like is he the same guy now as he was then and I would assume that's what the Cincinnati Bengals were trying to tell him is like you're not the same guy which even more so makes me believe that Dunlap everything he has left in the tank is about to go get spilled all over the Seahawks plus Gino might not have said anything Carlos might have been like hey me and Gino are <laughs> sick of not playing and Gino Atkins is like hey man well, don't, Gino, don't pull me into this Gino might have said that about Carlos by mm-hmm. the way and then Carlos does the entire uh, sell in my house which I've been trying to sell for five years actually no, no, it's a gimmick. It's a gimmick. I'm just trying to sell it out. <laughs> Very interesting. This all could be a big miscommunication. We don't know. What's the reason why is because he's the same age as Carlos Dunlap. He's an eight-time Pro Bowl. His last Pro Bowl was last season. Like, so it's not. Doesn't seem like he's lost everything. Yeah, what's it? We talked to Dwight Freeney about that, and Freeney told us that it happened to him. Like at the end of his career, he started getting situational, tagged as a situational uh, pass rusher or whatever. They put him in a third I down. Was with them. I was. I was in the Falcons for a month, and I, I sat down at our team meeting. I'm like, oh, Dwight Freeney's on the team. This is cool. <laughs> And then they didn't really play him. Like for the, for instance, whenever the when Chuck Pagano came in and they had a new scheme, right? He went from hand in the dirt to outside linebacker. Robert Mathis, the same exact thing. Robert Mathis adapted to it a lot better, I think, than Freeney did. Maybe either uh, deciding to adapt to that or. Uh, just naturally being able to do it. And it was tough for the first couple of weeks. I remember there was not a lot of happy days being talked about in the locker room about how we have potentially the greatest duo of pass rushers to ever play together, right? They never get talked about in that way. They should, by the way. They were unbelievable. And we changed the scheme up, right, because this is a different scheme. So now we got them potentially going into coverage every once in a while and all this. And Dwight Freeney was getting – 
He was getting a lot of money. I think it was like a million bucks a game at that point. He was getting like $17 Ooh. million. And he was standing on the sideline just as much as me. Like, I got more plays than him some games. And he was – he would only go in in third down and long. They would only put him in a thing or whatever. He was on the sideline a lot. And he was – I don't want to say like so cool about it, but he was like so professional about it. And I think that could have been a situation where Freeney could have came out and said like, yeah, get me out of here. I need to go somewhere else or whatever. But he was so professional about it. And now that we're seeing in 2020, he would have definitely been traded away. Like in 2020, there would have been so much noise about it. There would have been so many people talking like, oh, Freeney's here. He's available. He would have definitely been traded away, which is the current state of the NFL. It's like if somebody's not getting used in a proper fashion and their fans know it or other teams' fans know it because the knowledge of football is at an all-time high now with the amount of analytics and stats and everything that happens, they'll start calling for guys to get traded. Like, hey, Mm -hmm. we need to go get this guy. We need to go get this guy. And maybe five years ago, that person would have never been traded. But now the noise is deafening from the outside. It's like, yeah, maybe we should get that fucking guy. Why not? I think that would have been Freeney. But he was awesome about it. He said how coaches start to feel like either the scheme doesn't fit or maybe we need to save this guy because he's getting older and all this without even really telling him until after and later conversations. I wonder if that's what's happening with Dunlap and Gino, though. They're like, oh, we should save these these guys or is it hey we're trying to move on and these guys are just being kind of victim of the situation at the moment yeah i mean they might be just getting phased out by the you know the new coaching staff coming in trying to develop some young players it happens but yeah i mean it's if you're a a good player on a bad team you would think a lot of those good teams that have a chance to make a run are going to come calling on you yeah Who's going to move by next year? And, and you can't be upset. Like if I never, I, I've said this before. If I go from a losing team to a, a team that is has a great history and tradition and they're always in the hunt and they're always going to the playoffs, how could you not be super happy? Well, because your, your family potentially has a school system that they like, your wife potentially. Yeah, yeah. And if your wife and your kids and everybody understands the life of football that you live in, they'd be like, this is amazing. We're going to win. Let's go win. <laughs> we have a chance to win the Super Bowl. By the way. I concur, but I think there's a lot of people that are like, nope, we don't agree with that at all for the, the human side of it. Professional-wise, it's like, yeah, let's go. Let's get to a team here. Part of the game, though, like that's that's if you're in the game, if you're married to someone in the game, if you're a kid, like you learn, like, hey, yeah, we have a tiny, tiny window of our life where, where this, your dad's going to get to do this. So, yes, let's go win. If you're a contractor, there's a chance that a nail gun ends up shooting you with a nail. There's a chance that you step on a nail or a screw if you don't have your big old steel toe boots Mm -hmm. on that that penetrates. Those are risks that come with the job. With being a professional athlete, one of the potential risks is that you get picked up like a baseball and thrown to another fucking city. (laughs) Tell you to go swim. Good luck out there. No idea what the COVID outbreak is. We don't care if your wife can get a job over there. Your kids might have a whole friend group in school and everything like that. Don't care. See you later. You're going over there. But you're going to a good team. So be happy about it. That's just one of the things. That's just the way it is. That's the way it goes. Professional athletics in the NFL, it's only it's ramping up even more and more. And trade deadline is next Tuesday. The biggest news of next Tuesday, NFL trade deadline. <laughs> and if you're not out there already, please register to vote. Make sure you register to vote. On the poll that Zito has today, <laughs> oh, yeah. Zito's poll currently <clears throat> has over 20-some thousand. Yesterday's over poll 23. had 50,000 votes. Wow. Oh, yeah. Currently, oh, yeah. your poll right now, Zito, sits how? Uh, right now, we're, we're over 23,000. But uh, if your life depends on needing one sack on a third and seven, who do you choose? Uh, right now, 
at the end of it right here. Miles Garrett, 15.8. TJ Watt, 17.8. Uh, Cleo Mack, 21.1. And then Aaron Donald, 45.2%. 45.2% of the 20,000 plus, 23,000 plus that voted said, I want that guy to get one sack on a third and seven to save yeah. my goddamn life. Not a bad play. I'll take any of them. All right, that's the show. Big thanks to the guests obviously for coming on and spending some time to talk to us big thanks to the boys being safe throughout this entire quarantine mm -hmm. got a lot of covid tests around here lately we normally only do two a week but since Diggs felt sick yesterday he got it since he was in close proximity to nick nick got it as mm -hmm. well both of those tests came back negative all right which is awesome news my weekly test has come back negative foxy's weekly test has come back negative is is this office potentially on the forefront of how to keep COVID out of your office. I mean, it's the safest place in America. I know that. We've been going throughout this entire time, self-quarantining, locking down, staying socially distant amongst each other, and whenever we go out in the public. I'm very proud of this group for not getting shut down, because you know what? Big Ten already got a fucking game postponed. They got no chance. Eight weeks, eight games, no shot. The Big Ten loves it. They're dead. They're dead. Graham Mertz, never hear from him again, possibly. Nope. Good season, boys. Good Bro, he just got up on the surfboard, about to shred a barrel, and COVID was a dolphin that comes through the thing, just knocks him off. Took him out. Before that kid could even get going, before he could get off the ski lift. He mm -hmm. was on the ski lift, had the board on, he started going down like a black diamond or whatever. Boom. Speared at the end by a fucking polar bear. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Named yeah. COVID. That kid had the greatest debut in the history of college football, potentially. Pretty close. I don't know how you can have any five touchdowns, primetime game, Big Ten just said hello. Nobody knows you exist really outside of Wisconsin. Five tutters. One um, incompletion, and it was a drop. That's what I'm saying. Like, almost a perfect fucking game. Maybe the greatest debut in college football history. Big Ten says, hey, he tested positive. 21 days, put him on the shelf. Don't even let him look at a football. Coach two. Head coach two. Get out. Get out of the facility. Oh, my God. Hey, football's back, though, baby. Yeah, that's And we'll right. talk more about it, Mignogna. And also, whatever happens tonight at Halloween Havoc, USA Network, Channel 8. Nope, not Channel 8. 8 p.m. Eastern. 8 p.m. I don't know what channel it is for you. Whatever channel USA is. It is a channel, though. Mm-hmm. Talk about that. We got Thursday Night Football tomorrow. Oh, big game tomorrow ooh, on Thursday ooh. Night Football. Panthers-Falcons. Really? Oh, yeah. A fucking NFC South battle of the two teams. Yes. Who will end up in third in the NFC South? Mm hmm. Feels like I'm hammering the Carolina Panthers, whatever that line is. I think so. I don't know what it is yet. And I. Two and a half. Who's favored? Panthers. Panthers, two and a half. Where's it at? I want to say Carolina, but maybe it is in Atlanta. I'm fucking. Trivia Foxy over there had a couple answers, and then we stumped him real quick. <laughs> ah, Jesus, who cares? We'll talk about it tomorrow. Yeah. All right. This has been the Pat McAfee Show 2.0. If you like it. It's in Carolina. Okay, cool. Uh, if you like it, tell a friend. If you didn't, just act like it never happened. I would also recommend. I'm not even going to get into it. Alex Jones with Rogan is worth a listen. <laughs> Uh, I'm probably not supposed to say that. I mean, yeah. that guy. People have to remember that I didn't even know Alex Jones existed until a week and a half before he got banned from the entire internet. Mm -hmm. 
So this Alex Jones guy falls into my internet, and I'm like, oh my God, what have I been missing here? Okay. He's yelling, he's ranting, he's chasing people down. I went into like a, I was like, oh my God, this might be the most electric character I've ever seen on the internet. Getting, going into Congress and doing things like, Mm -hmm. As a character, you just have to respect. Then, obviously, I was told by a lot of people, like, well, some of the things he has said has caused people to have great harm and blah, 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 and all that. I'm like, yeah, but, eh, but who's taking... He's a character. Like, listen to... He's a character. Mm-hmm. He got kicked off the internet, banned. Which, by the way, is happening to a lot of people, but he got kicked off the internet early, like a year and a half ago almost. Mm-hmm. And this was my first sighting of Alex Jones since that week and a half run I had before he got banned off the internet. And him and Rogan... It was a great conversation. And Tim Dillon, I don't know who that guy is. He added some great shit to it as well. Comedian, I think. He's definitely a comedian. I, I didn't hear, hear of him before. He was a good part of the conversation. But boy, it's electric. I mean, it's just... I don't do the politics. I view everybody as a character in the life, which is a movie. That character is one that I am thoroughly entertained by. <laughs> who knows if any of it's accurate? They fact-checked everything it felt like. And who knows if any of those fact-checks are actually right, though? I mean, you got to question everything. But from an entertainment purpose only... <laughs> Worst things you could be doing with your time. Bro, he started early. He was like, well, she... <laughs> he just, <laughs> I was just dying. Just dying laughing. And I'm probably not supposed to because I, I was told a year and a half ago when he got banned, like, bad things have happened because of things he said. And to those people, I apologize, obviously. But if you look at him strictly as a character, fucking electric. Well, yeah, you're not hanging on every word he says, believing, you know, everything that's coming out of his mouth. It's the performance. I'm surprised Rogan did it too, by the way, because, you know, a lot of people are thinking maybe Rogan lost his fastball or whatever because mm-hmm. the way Spotify was turning. Rogan was like, no, no, actually, we're going to turn do this. Let's turn up the heat a little we're bit. We're going to do it right now. Yeah. And I don't know what previous conversations with Alex Jones and Rogan were like. I didn't watch those. But every single thing that Alex Jones said, Rogan had uh, Young Jamie. Jamie just searching, bum, mm-hmm. bum, 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 everything. I bet you Spotify employees that weren't happy uh, before they got to be absolutely boiling over there. And the good news for them is uh, Rogan's getting paid like $80 million a year or something like that. Mm-hmm. So he's not going anywhere. Probably not. Yeah. What a, what a scene that has to be over there. Because he's in Austin, Texas. Spotify's in New York. Mm-hmm. So all those employees, I don't even know if they're allowed in the office yet. They do their Zoom calls probably, and it's just like probably one big bonfire of Joe Rogan. And then Rogan's just down in his office down in Austin or whatever. He's like, how's it going? Oh, is the stock going up? Yeah. All right. See you guys later. And just backing out of it. <laughs> That's awesome. What a wild time to be alive. Happy you choose to listen to us, though. Um, yeah. Ty Schmidt, please play some independent music. We'll be back, men, yana, baby. There's this place down by the coast Oh no Oh mama may I If you say you think you know Well let me show you the way I go Got a pop top we can drop it down Take a ride on the way now So we are young Feels good let go Get down the way now I know